Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, my minions. My name's Tom Marquisell, Presidente. I'm on loan from God for the next two hours. You will pay homage to me as I guide you through this crazy world of sports. And a crazy world it was this week. We've got all the ingredients, man. We've got sex. We've got explosions. We've got trading. We've got uh, uh, NBA. We've got college basketball. Man, we got it all. We're going to start off here in just a few moments with Matthew Embry. Uh, going to be talking some college hoopage from WSBT up in South Bend. Going to be talking about some Notre Dame fighting Irish and uh, some IU. And we'll be talking, obviously, uh, about that uh, a little bit of an explosion. Yes, there was an explosion uh, and we'll get into that. It involved Duke and it involved Nike. Uh, we'll definitely get it, uh, get into that conversation as well as all the college basketball actually going on around the NCAA as we get geared closer and closer uh, to March Madness. Also, a little talk with Matthew on some IndyCar. Not a lot going on there, but certainly anytime we can talk IndyCar because it's just right around the corner. And... NASCAR has got its season underway. We had a great uh, Daytona 500, long but great, last weekend. And Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest joins us in the 10 o'clock hour in the second hour to uh, recap that for us. He was down there at Daytona. He's Atlanta today with us, uh, so he's going to be calling us from Atlanta today. Obviously, the the action is in Atlanta today, so we'll be talking about that. Both the BS Sports Show also going to join us. And he's going to talk about everything that all the major ingredients, sex, shoe explosions, uh, uh, trades in the NFL, trades in the NBA, uh, big Manny money, all of that stuff coming up right around the corner. We'll be right back. Myself, and Matthew Embry, we're going to kick things off right here on the Balance Radio Network. Stand by. It's about to get good. Tonight. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. 
I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Welcome back to the Bells. My name is Tom Mark Marcel, Presidente. Time to kick things off. Uh, joining me now is the one, the only, the great Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend. Joins us to talk some college hoopage, a little bit of IndyCar. Obviously, Matthew's also our official IndyCar contributor as we get ready for IndyCar. We'll get into that here in just a moment. But we'll start out with Matthew. Matthew, I'll tell you what. Uh, the ACC is uh, showing no favors to Notre Dame. Got Virginia Tech today. What say you, sir? Uh, right now, I think Virginia Tech uh, certainly uh, could secure their place in the NCAA tournament with a win today. Um, I think right now, at this point, that's the main focus. I don't think Notre Dame's going to be able to pull off a spoiler move in this game at this point. Um, and, then, of course, uh, a lot of drama for, you know, weird reasons with this Duke-Syracuse game. Uh, obviously, Zion Williamson is not going to play. And then, of course, the issues with Syracuse is head coach Jim Beheim after that uh, accident. 
vehicular contact that led to a fatality. Uh, the question is, should he be coaching or not? And, he, of course, he's going to be coaching tonight when they're going to be at the carrier dome, but uh, still a lot of people thinking that he should not be uh, on that sideline uh, this evening. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that. That's a that's a great story uh, that broke earlier this week. And uh, you know, when you first hear things like that, you think you always. Uh, unfortunately, society has trained us to uh, to jump to the worst uh, that maybe he was intoxicated or something. But that certainly was not the case. It was just an unfortunate accident. Uh, certainly, after the the big win Syracuse had there uh, on his way home, uh, came across an accident and. Somebody was actually in the high on the highway that was part of the other accident, and uh, just it was just one of those unfortunate things where uh, Coach Beheim hit this uh, individual, and unfortunately, this individual did pass away. Uh, terrible, terrible, terrible accident. But we do want to make sure that everybody knows that Coach Beheim. Uh, this was just an accident, but yeah, you're right. It it would play something on your psyche. I couldn't imagine. Uh, and maybe you know basketballs to get, escape, Matt. I mean, I don't know that he he didn't do anything illegal, didn't break any laws, and and you know this is what he knows. This is, we we all kind of have our zone, and you know no pun intended, but basketball will be the zone for uh, Coach Beheim, and that might be just exactly what he needs to uh, kind of get past this point. Behind those, these accidents and situations are happening all too often now, and uh, maybe, you know, this is a sign that maybe it's time for him to hang up the whistle and uh, focus in on the rest of his life beyond uh, basketball. Um, a lot of stress-related issues he's had, a uh, few health scares. Um, you wonder if it's time maybe that he needs to start thinking about possibly the next years or the next few years, uh, possibly hang up the whistle and uh, just go on down the road. Well, yeah, and certainly that's a, a discussion that we'll probably be having, and and obviously that I, I still don't know that, that that could be linked to the accident, but yeah, a lot of conversations around that. But uh, I wish uh, the best to everybody that was involved in that. A job like this, as crazy as things are getting with recruiting, this is a twenty-four-seven, three-sixty-five job now, and sure. to have sure. done it for over three decades, uh, that's got to take a lot out of you at some point. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Virginia Tech at Notre Dame there at Purcell uh, Pavilion there in your country there, the Virginia uh, Tech uh, Hokies and the Notre Dame Fighter and Irish uh, meet in meet today for some college basketball action. Let's talk about that game. Give us the, the ins, the outs, and then we'll move into some of the other homer teams, and then we'll get on into the uh, top 25 games that we got going on today around the NCAA. The saving grace for Notre Dame, obviously Virginia Tech is struggling to score. Uh, yes, they're holding opponents to .98 get points per possession, but the problem is the Hokies are only scoring 1.02 for themselves. Uh, add to that, Justin Robertson, what their, one of their leading scores is out with a foot injury. Based on that, uh, the thing is, can Notre Dame step forward? I mean, TJ Gibbs has had a couple of very strong games but he hasn't put the full game together. And I think if he can put the full game together today, uh, maybe they have a chance to knock off uh, Virginia Tech. But uh, I think uh, considering, like I said, the circumstances, you have a Buzz Williams uh, coach team and obviously the ultimate motivator, Buzz Williams, and I think one of the most underrated coaches uh, in college basketball today, uh, I think Virginia Tech, like I said, will find a way to win this game, but it will be close, I think, for a while. 
Well, we'll see what happens. Obviously, uh, Notre Dame's not the only uh, school in the state of Indiana. We always see Homer in Indiana because I, I know a lot of people may not know this, but we're located uh, high atop the Balance Studios in the west suburbs of Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, just about five miles away from the great Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You're up in South Bend. So our Homer is uh, the state of Indiana. Obviously, I'm a big IU guy, IU alumni. Go IU, go Hoosiers. But I'm very disappointed. I feel like a lot of times uh, – you know, maybe maybe we got exactly what we thought we were going to get in Romeo. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that anybody ever really thought that he was going to be uh, a 20-pointer uh, a game guy. The unfortunate thing is I think a lot of fans thought that he was the savior or the messiah, if you will. It turns out that he's not. Uh, yesterday, obviously, IU lost to, to uh, Iowa. Uh, we got uh, Wisconsin on Tuesday. And then on uh, in on March second, as we move into March, uh, Indiana's got Michigan State. It's li- really looking disappointing to me uh, for them to get into the tournament. And as a fan, I- I'm really, really not just with Romeo, but with Archie and the entire team. I know they've b- battled injuries, and we can find all, all kinds of excuses. The team that comes in and starts the year can be Butler, can be Louisville, can be Marquette. Uh, is now going the, in the other direction. There has to be a reason. We don't know why. Is it a coaching leadership problem? I don't know. But Archie's seat is going to start heating up if things don't start changing down in southern Indiana. I think it's equally despondent on the uh, freshman class. I mean, not just Romeo Langford, but the media Anderson, the former South Bend Riley uh, star, and a few others in that uh, group have just not provided the development and the output that I think that they were much most hoping to get. And it's not just Romeo Langford. I think the freshman class uh, in a tour has been uh, a downfall for them and a disappointment, just much like it's been at Notre Dame this year. Uh, but, again, there's the danger when you put uh, a lot of uh, pressure on a great recruiting class, expect them to pick up the slack right away. Uh, nine times out of ten, uh, unless you are very lucky or you just happen to get McDonald's All-Americans all over the place like Kentucky or Duke does, uh, usually it's not going to work out for you. Well, we'll certainly hope that, that things pan out because I, I really think there's so much on the bubble. They're not even on the bubble anymore. They are literally walking on the thinnest of ice uh, to get into the tournament. And if they miss the tournament, I think that's just – uh, takes it up a couple notches. Uh, Archie's been there a few years. He's had some time. I'm not saying he, he'll get fired next year, but things have to turn around and have to turn around quickly because at this point, we still don't know if Romeo's going to come back next year. Uh, we had said all along that he's going to be a one and done uh, and, and go to the NBA. Uh, my thing is, if I'm an NBA team and I'm seeing what I've seen, I'm okay with it. But he's not my mega star. He's not my first rounder. He's not my second rounder. And that said, that should send a signal to Romeo that he needs to stay at IU uh, for at least another year, I would think. We'll, we'll see how, how that plays out. Move on over to West Lafayette. Uh, Purdue is, seems to be the only team in Indiana as far as uh, teams that we talk about on a frequent basis uh, in, in the Big Ten anyway, and that is uh, – they, they're doing the right things. Matthew Painter and his squad is uh, at Nebraska. Obviously, Nebraska, a good team as well. Uh, but Purdue certainly well on their way into the, the tournament without any problems. Uh, what are your thoughts, Purdue at Nebraska? I think this is an upset alert for Purdue. Purdue has looked very, very average away from home. I mean, they struggled just to beat Indiana. Uh, they played horrendously in a loss to Maryland. 
this is a team that outside of Mackey Arena looks very, very below average. And I would say, considering the NCAA tournament is not a home-and-home situation, uh, you look at teams that are potentially teams that I would not pick in my bracket, I think Purdue is starting to look like one of those teams that I think could be viable to a first-round upset. Well, that would be interesting to, to see what what happens there with that, that's for sure. Let's get on to this big story that everybody's been talking about all week long. And that is – or not all week long, but the last couple of days anyway. Uh, and that is the sh- major shoe explosion uh, at uh, Chapel Hill this week. Uh, uh, I tell you what, we, we want to make jokes about it, but I understand that this is their livelihood. This could – you know, but uh, and, uh, Nike stock did fail after uh, uh, Duke Star, uh, the Duke Star uh, certainly uh, uh, 33 seconds, I believe it was, uh, that before the infamous shoe impl- implosion uh, as Zion Williamson uh, breaks his shoe uh, and was out for the game. And, and it looks like he might even be out for a couple games. And, uh, you know... <laughs> Uh, what I found kind of humorous is now they're starting to kind of let these endorsements kind of trickle into the NCAA because they know it's going to happen anyway. And I was watching the press conference with Coach K. Coach K goes, well, that's what happens now. We, we're, we're This is going to be the new world, the new NCAA, and it's just something that we've got to get used to. Um, really, Coach K, because you've been part of that whole shoe deal uh, behind the scenes, wink, wink, and a nod for many, many years. Everybody knows that you're not fooling anybody. But, uh, you know, certainly that was a big uh, audience. Obviously, Zion Williams is going to be one of the biggest stars uh, to come into the NBA draft since uh, LeBron James. And certainly he is one of the most sought-after players uh, right now uh, in any NBA team. So uh, Nike uh, certainly uh, – suffered a plot and I, and I hear uh, they, they lost some money, not enough. And I mean, not well, they lost about a billion dollars, which in theory uh, to Nike, that's absolutely uh, nothing at all. Uh, and they, uh, and it had some big audience members there, obviously number 44, Barack Obama was there. Uh, and the Barack Obama, I only got to see 33 seconds of Zion Williamson. So uh, what are your thoughts? First of all, what are your thoughts about uh, the endorsements that are coming that, that are now becoming more public that we always knew were there. And uh, what, what, are, what are our thoughts when we look at about a, a shoe company? Now you have uh, other players that are going to um, Nike and saying, hey, uh, I, I, wanna, I got some questions here. And then you see tweets from Puma. This would never happen in Puma country. And that was kind of a, a fun tweet, tweet banner between Nike and Puma. And, and uh uh, Nike tweeted back to Puma goes, uh, yeah, there hasn't been anything in Puma country since Lion King. Uh, so uh, what are your thoughts on all that? Obviously, we've loved to talk about it here in the media. This is a national show, obviously. So this gets a lot of national attention, and we're not going to be any different today. Let's give it some love today, uh, the Nike shoe explosion at Chapel Hill, Chapel Rock. I don't get shoe talk after that uh, glued uh, LeVar Ball shoe that came out a few years ago that was a total uh, bust, so I don't get into that. What I will get into, though, is the <laughs> fact that Duke still should have won this game. It was a Cameron indoor. You supposedly have two other players in that freshman class that are going to go in the top five in the NBA draft. They should have had more than enough talent and the pulled the fans to be able to pull out the game. They should not have lost by double digits, even if it was North Carolina. I don't care. That should have been an easy win still for Duke in that ball game. 
And I think with that uh, performance, they certainly look vulnerable when the NCAA tournament cuts. The question is, are they going to be able to handle that pressure? I mean, they couldn't get the job done at home. Now I think it opens up a new can of worms as to when we get to the tournament, uh, is the pressure going to get to them? And I think it could uh, based on this performance. Well, let's talk about the top 10, if you will, the top 25. Obviously, Duke, Gonzaga, Virginia, uh, Kentucky, uh, number five, Tennessee, which we'll get into their game here in just a, a moment. You got Nevada, Michigan that slipped all the way down to number seven, uh, uh, North Carolina, Houston at number nine, and rounding off at number at number 10 is Michigan State. Let's go ahead and talk about Michigan State. They've got obviously got a game on hand as well. Uh, where where are we at with Michigan State? What are our thoughts? I know that that's kind of up there in your neck of the woods as well. Michigan State and Michigan are both kind of teams that, that you uh, cover in your world. Uh, what are you, what are people talking about the Sparties? Uh, I think there's a lot of vulnerability, not just with Michigan State, but I think in all the top ten at this point. And I mean, when you especially you look at packetology and look at the teams that are on that those lower lines uh, right now. Uh, Tom, I mean, you could have a, a Loyola Chicago as a 15 seed. That's a scary matchup. Uh, you could have a Bucknell even as a 16, which is a scary matchup for teams. I mean, considering the vulnerability we're seeing for some of these teams, especially away from home, like what we saw Tennessee getting blown out by Kentucky, uh, Duke getting blown out by North Carolina. Uh, I think right now, if Duke uh, falls flat on their face against Syracuse, I think that's more cause for concern in Duke country. So uh, I, there just is not what I would say, other than maybe Kentucky, and that's still far-fetched considering their poor performance against LSU at Rupp Arena a couple weeks ago. Uh, I don't think there's really a team out there that you could say is a solid or a surefire favorite and, of course, with the way the thing is, especially with all these powerful mid-majors out there that I think feel like they're getting no respect, even though some of them, like a, a Buffalo or a Wofford, could get in the, to the 7 or the 9 line even, uh, I think you're going to see yet another NCAA tournament where we're going to have massive upsets on the first weekend because the field is so tight. But after that, like I said, there's no one clear team uh, that looks like it has a sense of stability uh, as we draw close to tournament time. And I think Michigan State's certainly one of those that, like Michigan, looks vulnerable. Well, I'll tell you one thing. That's why I always do uh, multiple brackets, if you will. And one of my brackets is always the bracket buster because you're right. You never know what's going to happen in that first, uh, the first couple of rounds. And it's always uh, a nail biter. But yeah, I think you're you're right. We're on track for another. So uh, if I, if I were to give advice, I would make sure that you do a bracket buster uh, bracket uh, so that uh, you you are still in the hunt and you're not one of those uh, guys ripping up their uh, <laughs> ripping up their brackets on on Friday morning. Let's go ahead. Let's move around the top 25 games going on today and the top 25 that is number five Tennessee Volunteers against the LSU Tigers at LSU. Uh, actually, this is an interesting matchup for me. I honestly think that LSU plays stronger at home than Tennessee does on the road. Tennessee is a strong number five, but LSU is a weak number 13. Well, I think right now it's clear to me that Tennessee has to bounce back and win this ball game. Uh, another lousy performance away from home uh, just, I think, solidifies the fact that uh, maybe they were overrated uh, when they won all these games in a row. And it makes you look back at, uh, well, 
can this team win away from Knoxville? And I think that's the big question we get to the NCAA tournament is these teams where it's a neutral court or a road record, can they win away from their home court? And I think that ultimately when we get to tournament time, that means something. And I think it's not just uh, Tennessee that uh, is going to be under the gun. I think you've got a potential for Virginia against Louisville, potentially. Auburn plays Kentucky today. I mean, there are several teams that I think can prove their case and make themselves look a lot better if they could steal one on the road uh, this afternoon. Let's go on over. And this, this is what is a, a gut puncher for IU fans. We see Marquette ranked number 11, and IU beat Marquette single-handedly, I mean, just totally dominated them, and uh, you can tell that they've, they've taken two different forks in the road, uh, but Marquette at Providence should have no problem uh, today, but what are your thoughts? Again, though, that was early season for Indiana, and that was at Assembly Hall. I'd say, uh, again, that uh, some of these, I think these road get, or these home game victories, I think sometimes get overvalued just a little bit, uh, Marquette, like you said, though, uh, they've had their opportunities uh, to get the job done. Uh, couldn't get it done, for instance, against Kansas. Uh, lost to St. John's earlier this year, uh, IU. So uh, there are still some chinks in the armor. In fact, actually, they got swept by uh, St. John's this year. So uh, you look at the scenarios right now. Uh, they still got uh, a couple chances to improve themselves. Obviously, the province game against a team that – uh, is definitely not going to make the tournament, but it's a game I think at Dunkin' Donuts Center. They got to find a way to win, and then uh, coming up next week, uh, you got another big test at Villanova, and then uh, Creighton and Seton Hall potential bubble teams, and then team I'd love to see uh, make them run late to try to possibly find their way in. Uh, Patrick Ewing's uh, Georgetown Hoyers are making a move late. Uh, I don't know if it's going to get them all the way into the tournament as an at-large, but. Uh, that's a team now that's showing up in bracketology among the outlist that they're getting closer and closer to possibly getting there. So uh, for Marquette, I think right now the three line is probably where they're going to end up unless they make a major surge here late or they have a big run in the uh, Big East tournament. Uh, they also could lose a lot, though, with uh, some of the teams on their schedule and the bad loss potential uh, for some of these teams uh, that could really hurt their seeding. We're talking with Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, Notre Dame country, obviously the official uh, flagship station for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, uh, and uh, contributes to some NCAA basketball talk with us, also our official IndyCar contributor. And we'll get into a little bit of racing here in just a moment. But as we continue around the clock with today's games, we got number Virginia, number three Virginia against uh, number 18 Louisville. I think we're really starting to see – uh, the effect of the lack of Rick Pitino at Louisville. Obviously, we know the big scandal he was involved in, and they, and they ended up uh, having to terminate Rick Pitino. How big of a factor is uh, seeing Louisville at number 18, which is something that we're not used to. Still in the top 25, that's true, but we're certainly used to seeing Louisville much higher on the scale. And certainly Virginia is – well, Virginia is no team you want to anywhere, uh, but they just seem to do very, very good on the road. And, you know, Louisville just isn't connecting the dots. Again, they're number 18, so they're still in the top 25. Uh, but they're not what the Louisville that we've seen in the years past in the Rick Pitino era. But the thing is, though, you look at Louisville's record, I mean, there really aren't, other than the Indiana game and the loss at Pitt, there really aren't any real bad losses on the list. I mean, 
you look at the records, and uh, I think most of their losses are legitimate. But, uh, yeah, the, the big marquee victory isn't quite there yet uh, for them. Uh, you look down the road, uh, obviously the Virginia game is a big chance for them. And then, uh, obviously, the they have actually two chances at Virginia this weekend, and then they go to uh, Charlottesville on March the 9th to close out the regular season. So, Two big chances for them to possibly uh, get in. Obviously, they should be in the tournament at this point, around the five or six positions as far as the seed lines. But uh, you look at Virginia right now, uh, the Duke losses are glaring right now. Thankfully, those are the only losses they've suffered. But the thing is, can they rely on this, uh, you know, burn-down tactic as a high seed? Obviously, it blew up in their face when they played UMBC last year. And if they get into a quality opponent from one of those lower lines again, I'm not saying it's going to be back-to-back years so they lose to a 16, but uh, you can't trust them anymore as to say that this is a solid team until they prove otherwise. I mean, they have the talent in Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, Jack Salt, et cetera, but uh, can they put it all together when it gets to tournament time? And I think that's something that uh, the UMBC loss, even though it's, 11 months ago, it still glares in the face because the performance there just totally stands out compared to what we normally see from a team like UVA. We move on down south, if you will, to the SEC. Big cat fight at the Rupp today. Uh, two two rival teams. Obviously, Kentucky ranked number four uh, and should easily handle Auburn. But let's face it, uh, that this is a rival. Uh, this is a big cat fight indeed. Uh, I, you know, on paper, it looks like, oh, yeah, okay, the Wildcats got the Tigers on this one. But I'm going to tell you one thing. This is one rival. When they meet, it, it, it really – you just throw the record – books out out the window and let's let's go let's go do some battle cat fight it's a rep today what are your thoughts sir i think Auburn could be easily a top 16 seed this has been a season of missed opportunities for bruce pearl and company uh look at the games that they could have eaten. if they had played better i think they came with they lost by seven to north carolina state uh the only real blowout loss they've suffered was against old miss when they lost by a 15 but they lost by two points to Kentucky. They lost by three points to South Carolina. They lost by eight to Mississippi State. They lost by five to LSU and five to Ole Miss in the second game. So they got swept by Ole Miss. I think if they have the talent to win games, it's just the sealing the deal has been a big problem for them during the season, and that's why they are a mid-pack seed instead of a high seed where they should have been and what the record says they should have been at the start of the year. Let's talk a little bit about TCU uh, today down in Fort Worth. Obviously, uh, I don't know if we'd call it a big game, but, you know, we, we pay more attention to TCU in the, uh, in the football world than we do uh, in the basketball world. But certainly uh, they've got the Cyclones coming in, uh, the number 19 Iowa State uh, taking on uh, the TCU. Uh, what, what say you on that game, sir? TCU certainly is on the bubble right now. Uh, I think they need the marquee win, and thankfully they got three chances before the Big 12 tournament to get a marquee win. If you include uh, ISU, the Cyclones is one possibility. Uh, They have a home game against Texas Tech. They have a home game against Kansas State. 
and they have road trips against WVU and Texas. So those are all quad one games as far as I'm concerned and a chance to really uh, get themselves in a more secure position in terms of the bubble. Uh, they have had their moments this season, but also they, like we said, they have had missed opportunities. They have lost three games in a row and they have lost five of their last seven. That's not how you want to enter uh, you know, the NCAA tournament as a bubble team, including a 24-point loss to Baylor, a 20-point loss to Texas Tech. Uh, I think they need to find a way to steal a game against a team like Iowa State. Now, granted, they came within nine points of doing that when they took on the Cyclones and Ames uh, last month. But uh, sooner or later, I think they're going to have to find a way to steal one of these games because they certainly are falling into no man's land, much as they did last year when they almost missed the tournament as well. Well, absolutely. Let's go ahead. Let's move on over uh, to uh, Ohio State, uh, Maryland. Obviously, another Big Ten matchup uh, here. We saw Maryland uh, do a comeback uh, take, if you will, from uh, from behind to come back and beat Iowa uh, this this uh, past week. Uh, uh, Maryland is uh, the Turtles, the Turpins. Uh, ish but ohio state is ish so i I'm, I'm i'm trying to find something to get excited about with this game but to me it's just a game to watch the past time on a saturday afternoon today sir ohio state even though they're seven and nine the problem is 17 and nine the problem is they're seven and eight in the big 10 and i don't know if a sub 500 record is the way to go to get into the ncaa tournament now granted i think they are well above the cut line at this point but uh, still, uh, they are trending in the wrong direction, and certainly a great chance uh, this weekend uh, for them to go to College Park and take a win away, a quality win away from a Maryland team that I think is peaking and is trending upward as opposed to the strategy and the route that most Big Ten teams are taking, it seems like, over the last few weeks. Well, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and uh, talk about the University of North Carolina, Tar Heels, Florida State Seminoles uh, today uh, to kick off the afternoon games, that is. Florida State going into North Carolina. We talked a little bit about North Carolina and Duke earlier. Uh, Duke is, is a number eight team. That is true. Uh, but I certainly think that this is a game that Florida State can win on the road if they go in and just play some good, solid basketball against the Tar Heels. And I'm predicting uh, Florida State to pull up the win in this game. I think the light down is there. And add to that, I still am not convinced North Carolina is a top eight seed yet, even though, yes, they're ranked uh, top eight in the AP poll. Of course, that has no inkling on where their actual seeding is. I think at best they are a three seed, if not a four. Uh, Florida State, I think still some question marks with them right now as far as consistency goes. But uh, obviously a golden opportunity for Florida State to really uh, ink their claim as being a team that could be a second weekend team, if not further, uh, when we get to the NCAA tournament in a few weeks. We also got Oklahoma State at Kansas State. Uh, again, this is one of those uh, games that should be just a, a, a box checker for Kansas State as they get ready to move on into March. Uh, certainly we get more excited about Oklahoma State in football than we do basketball. But what are your thoughts about the matchup, Oklahoma State at Kansas State? Well, Oklahoma State's been a spoiler the last few weeks. They've uh, ruined uh, – hurts a couple teams that are on the cut line for the Big 12 as far as making the NCAAs. 
Kansas State, though, I think uh, has enough in the, their corner to be able to find a way to get into the winner's circle today. Uh, it would put them at 21-9, and nine, and I would say uh, very solidly in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they were, I think it should be in status on Palm's site and on uh, ESPN's site. Uh, victory here, and with uh, the strength of the Big 12 right now, that should put them in lock status uh, looking into next week. We got South Florida at number nine, Houston. Again, a box checker for Houston, but what are your thoughts? Again, Houston, the uh, question is just how strong is the American Athletic Conference? Because I think there's a lot of teams that are having down years, obviously most notably Wichita State, who is going to miss the tournament for the first time in several years. And uh, obviously question marks whether or not a team like a Cincinnati or a team like a UCF uh, deserves to be in the field as well. So uh, I think right now the question with Houston is, just like last year when they were in an early exit victim from the NCAA tournaments, is just how good are the teams they are beating in the American Athletic Conference. And I think that is still a big question mark, especially compared to last year when I think there were some teams in there that were more competitive than uh, the current state of the conference this year. I mean, it's not necessarily down to the level where the Pac-12, where they are brutally on the verge of possibly only having one team in, but uh, it's not as strong as, say, you know, a Big East, an SEC, or a Big Ten, or an ACC at this point either. We talked about uh, Coach Beheim earlier in Syracuse. Sad, sad story there and, and what happened with that. And certainly our thoughts and prayers go to Coach Beheim as he coaches at home. And, I think again, I think maybe this is just the element that he needs to be in to kind of help him through this. Uh, but you're Duke. You're coming in, and you know – what is has happened with Coach Beheim? I'm sure Coach K has reached out on a personal level. Uh, I don't know this, but I'm just assuming that Coach K has reached out to uh, Coach Beheim on a personal level and tried to give him some encouragement. But you're also a competitor. You're also ranked number one. You also suffered a loss this week that you should have won. Um, how do we say this sensitively? Do you know what's going on with Syracuse coach Beheim at home lots of energy want to win for coach Beheim a lot of stuff on that end but do you as you formulate a plan do you know in the back of your mind that this is going on do you use this as a competitive advantage or not hard to fathom uh, what the situation is with Syracuse and what they will play. Will they play hard for their coach or not? And then obviously Duke uh, without Zion Williamson, uh, how hard they will push. Uh, Obviously Syracuse, uh, the thing is though, is that Syracuse doesn't overvalue this game if they happen to win it and then think, oh, we're solidly in the tournament because they did that a couple years ago after they beat Duke at uh, Carrier Dome and then they just flat fell apart at the end of the year and they failed to make the tournament and then last year they just barely made it in. Uh, they're in a much safer position for now anyway, but again, uh, not, it's a tenuous position at best uh, if they cannot hang on to it. So uh, I think right now, if you look at the scenarios right now, obviously this is a game Syracuse has to have, but again, while Duke is vulnerable, are they vulnerable enough to allow for victory for Syracuse considering their vulnerability and the uh, negative uh, vibes they've had over the last week as well. So, uh, uh, toss-up in this game, certainly, but uh, I think uh, on paper, if all things hold well, uh, Duke should easily win this ball game. but again, that's what we thought uh, on Wednesday against North Carolina, and that didn't happen either, so uh, 
we'll see what happens. But I'd say uh, this is getting closer to a toss-up than uh, a sure Duke victory, as I thought it was going to be uh, coming into this week. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, let's just kind of revisit what's going on with this game. Everybody's going to be watching this game, but a little bit more intently, uh, as we know, uh, Coach Beheim, uh will coach uh, the, the Orange as they host number one Duke Blue Devils today. But this comes after uh, striking and killing a man with his car Wednesday night. Very tragic accident. Uh, Syracuse Athletic Director John Welichek uh, made an announcement uh and it read something like this in standby. It says, the Jim S family has suffered a tremendous loss. Our community is shaken. The Boheim family is heartbroken over what has happened, as we all are. This is a very difficult time, and I know that Coach Boheim's uh, players uh, will gain strength from him just as he gains strength from his players. Our entire community gains strength from each other. And with this in mind, and after thoughtful consideration, I have respectfully decided that Coach Boheim will resume his coaching uh, duties later today and coach against uh, the Duke Blue Devils. Um, Syracuse police said that Boheim hit the 51-year-old Jorge Jamez with his vehicle on I-690 in Syracuse on Wednesday night after after a car carrying Jamez and three other people were crashed into a guardrail after hitting a patch of ice. The four people were standing outside the car when Boheim swerved to avoid the disabled vehicle, resulting in Jamez hitting, uh, getting hit and uh, subsequently uh, was killed. Uh, that's what happened with Coach Bayheim, and that's what happened with Syracuse. Let's kind of talk about that, talk through that. I know we talked a little bit about the stress factors. It sounds like it was just a tragic accident re- resulting from uh, bad weather, and that just happens. It, and, and unfortunately, this is uh, under the, the, the spotlight because of who he is and because of the fame that he has. I couldn't imagine – having that happen at all on anybody's level. So you got to know that that's on, on their mind. And we talked a little bit earlier on that maybe this is, this is time maybe for him to start thinking about hanging up the whistle mat. But at the same time, I don't know that this was something that could have been avoided. This could have happened with him, even if he wasn't coaching. Go ahead. Your thoughts. The thing is though, you still got to be careful on the roadways, even though, I mean, Today's society, the thing they say about wearing light clothes like that, I mean, there, I mean, there was a guy that was in dark clothes last night that I nearly uh, hit last night trying to get home. So uh, you just got to be extremely careful on the roadways. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Coach Beheim didn't necessarily do that. Now, granted, what you think of him, uh, I don't know what the situation is. I probably shouldn't go deeper into that, but... Uh, the other question in my mind, though, as far as this Duke-Syracuse matchup is, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Scotty Pippen saying that Duke should shut down uh, Zion Williamson for the rest of the year to keep his draft status up uh, for the NBA draft? Because he said that I earlier think, this week on ESPN. Yeah, I saw that. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. It's, it, I mean, it would be different. <laughs> I think that's a different story if you're talking about Anthony Davis and the Pelicans. Uh, but you're talking about a college basketball player – who is a free ride to go to college to play basketball. You absolutely should play him. You absolutely should play him. Now, yes, I know that he's injured, but, yeah, Scotty Pittman's remarks were absolutely stupid. But, hey, you got to remain relevant. we got to be talking about 
Isn't the Go same ahead. time, though, with guys uh, skipping the bowl games uh, and shutting down? Is that uh, on a similar wavelength with that thinking? No, I agree 100%. I've, I've said that, too. You're getting a free ride to, to school. You, you need to play your – even if you are going into the NFL draft. And I, I get it from their aspect of it, and, and they're an asset, and they're trying to protect their assets. And, and they've got agents, and they've got a lot – so from, from the thought pattern of the, the player – I get it, but from the thought pattern of a fan and the school, I say if you can play and you're still under scholarship, you should definitely play. Let's move on down the road. Fresno State at number six, Nevada. What say you, sir? Nevada's got to keep winning. Uh, I think the teams left on their schedule are not going to provide any value to them. I mean, they're ranked sixth in the AP, but I think most polls or most brackets have them as a five or a six seed. So they need to keep winning ball games. I think any loss they suffer down the road the rest of the way is going to hurt them seed-wise. Uh, they should solidly be in the tournament, but uh, I think if they're going to get a good seed, they cannot afford any losses down the rest of the way. Even though, yes, Utah State is still out there, that would not be as bad a loss. But still, uh, I think this is a team that uh, needs to win out. Uh, if they want to have be in control of their destiny and get a seed, they can have an easier draw possibly the second weekend, if not further down the road, uh, as far as possibly make it to a Final Four. Well, let's uh, move on to what I call my upset of the week. Upset of the week. Upset alert. And that is Kansas at Texas Tech. So the Red Raiders host the Jayhawks in uh, at, at home. Texas Tech comes away with, again, a win against the number 12 Jayhawks in the Pac-12. Well, actually, I'd say it's a bigger surprise if Kansas uh, were to win this game, considering how tough it is to win games away from home. Um, Kansas uh, certainly looks vulnerable. Uh, the fact that they are struggling to win the Big 12 and top conference they've dominated for the last several years, uh, I think, is uh, a concern from that standpoint. And uh, these are the type of games you have to find a way to win if you want to be a legit contender. And for Bill Sell's team, I think they desperately need to find a way to win this game uh, to say that they are a legit threat uh, when we get into next month. Well, absolutely, and we are getting closer and closer to March Madness, and I tell you what, that's one of the best times of the year, one of the best two weeks of the of the year, absolutely. Big Ten, another Big Ten matchup tonight. Uh, Wisconsin, number 22, Wisconsin against Northwestern uh, Wildcats. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on that game? tournament two years ago. Unfortunately, Chris College has been unable to keep the momentum going. I think the renovation of Welsh Ryan Arena and them having to make a big commute to Allstate Arena further down, about 20, 25 minutes away from campus, I think really hurt them in the long run. Granted, their stadium, Welsh Ryan's back up and going, but I think that threw a wrench into things, and they haven't been able to cover from it, and now they're back to where they were. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, Certainly cannot afford to lose this game. Uh, granted, I think they're solidly in the tournament, but uh, uh, for ours positioning-wise, uh, this is a bad loss they cannot afford to have. They have to leave uh, Evanston tonight with a victory. Late game tonight, BYU uh, against number two, Gonzaga, 10 o'clock uh, uh, Eastern time. Uh, certainly this seems like a bunch of Bulldogs, but what are your thoughts? BYU, I think a lot of people are saying, watch, watch, watch. Uh, Gonzaga, I think right now, 
should be able to find a way to win. The question is, though, you look at the West Coast Conference uh, teams that uh, San Francisco, uh, St. Mary's, uh, can they have enough left in there to make a jump? And you talk about uh, the bottom in the mid-majors non-power conference team. Uh, the last seven years of the NCAA tournament, only three or less each of those years uh, has gotten an at-large bid into the field of 68. Uh, this year, we could double that, if not uh, just a little bit more, with teams like uh, Buffalo standing out there, Wofford out there, uh, Utah State, uh, San Diego State, uh, UC, well, not technically UCF, but uh, you look at Temple, uh, you look at uh, Belmont, Lipscomb, uh, several teams. But the question is, though, will they get the nod over the power conference teams along that cut line as opposed to what has happened the last few years when it seems like the power conference teams have gotten the benefit of the doubt uh, against these mid-majors? Let's uh, before we go on into some IndyCar talk, while we still got you here, uh, we're talking with uh, Matthew Embry, WSBT, up in uh, South Bend, which is closer to Michigan than it is Indiana in a lot of ways. Uh, so certainly you have some crossover coverage, and Michigan uh, is certainly one of the teams that you cover quite thoroughly. And uh, of course, the uh, number ten Michigan State uh, tomorrow at home uh, against the Wolverines, big matchup, big Big Ten matchup, big. Big matchup for both teams. We look at Michigan, man. They they were number one. They were almost undefeated there for a while. Almost undefeated. That's like saying you're either pregnant or you're not. Uh, but uh, Michigan, I don't know that they're, they've fallen. I'm not really saying that, that that is the end of the world. But I think that, that Michigan State is has a better momentum coming into this game than Michigan does, even though they are at home. What are your thoughts? Well, obviously, the loss to Iowa and the loss to Michigan State is a tragic event that we're going to Can barely hear you, Matt. You're going to have to uh, speak up or something's going on here. Conference tournament. So you there look you at go. that scenario. Uh, I'd say right now, this is a vulnerable game for Michigan, considering those two bad losses on their record. Now, granted, I think Iowa has enough to get into the tournament. But uh, the loss to Penn State, a team that certainly is not going to get in, uh, is a red flag. And then also another home lo- a road loss to Wisconsin is out there. And then, uh, yes, granted, those are the three losses they've suffered all year. But I'd say uh, those three losses, uh, none of them look all that particular. You'd say that's an okay loss. Uh, those are at least two of those three, I'd say, are not so good-looking losses at this point. Well, let's move into some racing talk. Matthew Embry is also our official IndyCar contributor. We hang out at the track here. We're getting closer and closer to uh, the Indy 500. Love seeing the uh, – this is uh, May uh, Indy uh, uh, commercials on television. That tells me we're getting closer and closer. Obviously, still some time, but, hey, uh, we're getting closer to start starting of the IndyCar season. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit. We're going to get in more detail about this in the next hour with Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest. But what a great NASCAR Daytona 500. Long but good. And I remember I was texting uh, with uh, Steve. I said, and we still haven't seen the big one. Well, And then that's about when it happened, uh, which was at the end of the race. And great win for Denny Hamlin. And uh, certainly great get- win for uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. And what I thought was really uh, 
touching or historical or however you want to talk about it. And certainly we know that Joe Gibbs Jr. Uh, lost his life to a, a, a cancer or disease that he had that he'd been fighting for a while, uh, but certainly one of the executives in Joe Gibbs Racing uh, lost him uh, a month or so ago. They, they uh, uh, honored number 11 lap uh, to uh, Joe Gibbs Jr., uh, and that was a very emotional moment for Joe Gibbs. But then for number 11, Denny Hamlin, to win the race, this was a huge emotional impactful win for Joe, Joe Gibbs Racing. But overall, what are your thoughts about the win of and Denny Hamlin's win? Uh, the crashes late, uh, I'd say right now, are discouraging. Uh, the fact that if it's going to come down to a wreck fest, uh, every restricted plate race you get to, I don't think that sends the right message. Add to that also an opportunity loss for Kyle Busch. It's just like Mike Joyce said on the broadcast. He is becoming more and more like the Dale Earnhardt of this area. I mean, he's won so many races, but he can't win the Daytona 500. Now he's 0 for 13 in his career. And of course, remember, it took 20 tries for Earnhardt to finally win it. Uh, could we dare be saying that for Kyle Busch in the next year or two down the road? Uh, obviously, a big win for Hamlin, but the question is, after going winless last year, uh, is he ready to make a bounce back uh, to being a contender for the championship? And I'd say that's still a, a far-fetched uh, reality unless he can start proving that he is capable of winning at uh, places more than just the restrictor plate tracks where it seems like that is his ultimate advantage at this point. Short tracks, uh, intermediates, and road courses, I think there's still a lot to be uh, desired uh, if you're looking for Denny Hamlin. Well, let's get into some IndyCar talk. As I mentioned, Matthew's also our official IndyCar contributor. Not a lot of headline-breaking news, if you will, but we certainly want to talk a little bit about some of the stories that are happening in and around. So let's talk a little bit about McLaren, trying to replicate the 2017 Indy 500 experience for Alonzo. Alonzo's coming back, as we know. Not as big as the news as it was in 2017, but he is coming back. What are your thoughts? Well, I think right now the fact they're doing it on their own and under their own banner I think is going to be risky at best. The thing, though, that may save them is the thoughts of possibly as big as a 38-car entry list. I don't think that's going to happen right now. Uh, we're looking around 35 at best, just like it was last year. So that saving grace may save them in terms of qualifying, but if that's going to be a good performance uh, on race day, considering they don't have a major partner like they did with Andretti Autosport uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I think it's going to be a learning curve uh, potentially for them. I don't expect them to be a contender for victory. I mean, they'll make a few noises here along the way and down the road, but uh, I don't know if they're trying to do it all under their same banner. Uh, if this is the year to expect them to get uh, make a major challenge for the victory. What happens to the world? How how much would the world shake and the world end as we know it if Alonso comes and wins? the Indianapolis 500. Again, I'd say that's a long shot. I'd say it's a 99 to one. Uh, if they had another partner in this, that was competitive, like say Penske provided them some support or uh, Ed Carpenter would provide them some support. I'd say they have a much better shot at this. The fact though, that they're trying to do it on their own, I think is a risky maneuver at best. And, uh, now, granted, I don't think they're not going to fail to qualify, but uh, I think they would be much more competitive and in the right direction if they were able to, for instance, 
get into a better situation with Honda if they had been able to do that so that they could have had some ties and continued the support, technical support with Andretti like they had a couple years ago. Uh, it's a big jump. I don't know the personnel they have running this program for a one-off. So uh, you got a question, but I mean, yes, the thing is, I mean, yeah, the driver has to play it a little bit, but at the same time, the car's got to be there in order, especially with this fast they're going in order to allow them to be competitive. And I'm not sure the car engine combination uh, and the lack of technical support from other entities is going to be an advantage. I think it's going to be more of a handicap uh, than a help for uh, Alonzo, as opposed to what he had, say, at the Rolex 24, when he had one of the better cars and a car that was capable of winning. I don't say that uh, it's incapable of winning, but uh, certainly they are going to be at a disadvantage in terms of technical situations, having to do this under their own banner instead of having to, a technical partner in there like they did two years ago. I think that's going to make it a much tougher test for them uh, coming up this May. How hard is it going to get for us to get used to seeing the NTT IndyCar Series? <laughs> I haven't done it yet. <laughs> that was like one of the first times I've done it. So there you go. <laughs> well, yeah, let's, let's make this an official question. The NTT IndyCar Series moved forward with the new cockpit protection device. and It has named Advanced Frontal Protection, the AFP device, the three-inch tall uh, I'm not going to get into all the math. Titanium piece replaces the widescreen unit tested in the series at Phoenix International Raceway and, of course, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway last year. What are your thoughts? Unless this is one of those things that's trying to keep the cars on the ground, I don't know how it's going to be much of a protection. I mean, David Land was mocking it on his site uh, earlier this week and not that extreme yet, but uh, I just don't see... I mean, this just seems like a gimmick trying to keep the cars on the ground, and I don't know necessarily uh, that's what they need. They need to find a way to prevent all the flying debris and the pieces from flying off the cars and possibly hitting a driver in the head, like what happened to Justin Wilson, and, of course, what happened to Ayrton Senna when he passed in 1994. So I don't know really uh, if this piece really does anything to help uh, the bacon surge, which is fly debris. I think this is an attempt to try to keep the cars on the ground, but Granted, that is a concern, but I don't know if that's the major problem right now as far as driver safety in IndyCar. I think it's uh, preventing and protecting drivers from the fly debris. You know, man, also I'm curious to know if there's something more to this story about Pato Award. Uh, if he has money for five races between Indy Lights uh, prize money and some other sponsorships he found, why is Harding not running him in the first five races of the season? I, I, I'm I confused about that. Harding screwed up. Because they're the one that set the deal with the leases for an Indy-only ride with their second deal, they scheduled with their second deal. That's not Honda's fault. That is Harding's fault putting together the wrong kind of lease. Now, granted, they can change that down the road, but I think the situation with Chevrolet is one of those is full-season lease, and then they only had the money together for a partial lease for the second car. And ultimately, I think that knocked uh, – Pato Award out. So while Award was limited on funds on his head, I think Harding Steinbrenner, like I said last week, really made a poor decision by announcing two drivers for 2019 when the deals really weren't secure at that point uh, to be to the point where you would make a confirmation like that. 
Follow-up question on that. What, I mean, I'm wondering what the rules are around the Indy uh, Light Scholarship Funds. You would think that they do have to be used in IndyCar, or, but maybe could uh, Pato Award take that cash to another series? They have to be used for IndyCar. He's guaranteed at least three races with someone. The question is, like I said last week, though, is at this late date, who is going to step up and help him? And, again, the options are limited. I mean, you, uh, think, unfortunately, either he's going to take an Indy only ride with somewhat one of the power teams, or if he tries for more races, I think the only option at this point is a team that needs money, and that is Junco's racing. I mean, for now, they only have one confirmation. That's the Circuit of America round with Kyle Kaiser. Uh, if he's looking for opportunity right now, Junco's may be as good as it's going to get at this point. Dragon speed prepping for IndyCar. Thing for Pato Award to be bitter. I think he has the right to be bitter with Hardy against Steinberg because they really uh, made him look bad and they made the team look bad by making a confirmation when they did not have all the deal pieces together. And I think that really was a disservice not only to the team but also to Pato Award and his potential future uh, by handling this situation the wrong way. So I think the management wise, they really hurt themselves. They hurt Pato by uh, doing it the way they did it. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Elton J- J- Julian's Dragon Speed team. Obviously, he is making steady progress, assembling the brand-new Delora DW12 chassis for a planned debut at the IndyCar uh, season's opener in St. Petersburg, although they did miss uh, the – here we go again trying to use that, that uh, new name, the NTT IndyCar Series Spring Training. Uh, what are your thoughts? We're going to have a shakedown run to see if we're going to be the same week uh, getting ready for St. Pete, and I think that's just too much to ask for. I'd be glad that Julian's team is one of the best uh, prepared and best uh, entered presented teams uh, in ELMS competition, the European Le Mans Series, and when they make appearances in IMSA and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. But uh, you can't just jump out of, the par- out of the plane and try to put the parachute together before you smash on the ground. And I think essentially that's what they're trying to do here with uh, this entry. Now, granted, I think Ben Hadley is a better driver than people give credit for, but uh, this is a new territory. And I think if there's a team that's looking for or hoping for low car counts, uh, looking to the Indianapolis 500, uh, Dragon Speed would be one of those to ensure their place in the field. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up and put a bow on it with that because uh, we've got to get into some uh, NASCAR talk, and I know you got to go as well. Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest joins us here in the second hour. He's calling us from Hotlata uh, and certainly going to give us a recap from Daytona, and we're going to talk about this week's Atlanta race. Matthew, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y, and obviously at the same time I've also been, if you see my tweets, I've also been uh, pretty uh, – adamant about uh, the situation involving Bob Kraft. I think right now this uh, harvests the levels of uh, March shot and uh, to Donald Sterling. And I think uh, NFL needs to make the right decision here as far as uh, punishment for a very uh, foolish and a very uh, poor decision on the part of an owner who is very much in the limelight as far as the success of the Patriots. Uh, I think uh, they need to move quick here. Otherwise, this could stay badly, not just for the Patriots, but the entire NFL. And considering how many foot-in-the-mouth instances the NFL has had in the last few years, uh, they really need to do this the right way because they cannot afford another blow-up. 
Well, we're certainly going to get into that at the bottom of the of, of the show here. Uh, Matthew, we appreciate you joining us, and we're going to get uh, with you again soon. You have yourself a good uh, weekend, sir, and we'll talk with you again next week, sir. Anytime, Tom. All right. Matthew Embry, WSBT up to South Bend, official Notre Dame country there. Uh, of course, they are the official Notre Dame basketball flagship station. Uh, talking some college basketball with us. Also, Matthew is our official IndyCar contributor. But uh, standing by in the balance green room is uh, Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief Speedway Digest, and our official NASCAR contributor. A lot to talk about NASCAR. Daytona 500 last week. Uh, big win for Denny Hamilton. And a lot of action on the track in Hotlanta, which is where Steve Wilson is standing by to talk with us about this weekend. My name is Tom Marquisell, Presidente, Balance Radio Network. We'll be right back. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force by active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be confusing, like... Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal art. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? All right, welcome back to the Balance One Hour in the Brooks. Thanks uh, to Matthew Embry, WSBT, up in South Bend, joining us to talk some uh, college hoopage with us, as well as uh, some Notre Dame action and IndyCar action. But joining us now is the great wise one, Steve Wilson, editor in chief of Speedway Digest, calling us from Hotlanta. How are you, sir? Well, it's raining here right now, and they've already canceled the Xfinity Series qualifying, so. I'm hoping that we can actually get the the uh, trucks qualified here in a short amount of time, but I don't know. 
it's rainy and it's foggy, so I'm not putting too much stock in the whole getting this qualifying thing done today. <laughs> you mean you mean you don't have the Daytona weather? You got spoiled with Daytona, didn't you? Uh, well, yesterday was really nice. I mean, it was 80s during the day. It got hot at one point and then dropped off about 30, 35 degrees into the 50s. So last night uh, around Monster Energy qualifying time. Uh, but, yeah, I've, I've been spoiled over the last eight or nine days of having 80-plus <laughs> degrees. So. Well, absolutely, and I tell you what, what a great race it was. We'll get into the uh, 2019 Codes of Honor, uh, Quick Trip 500 here in just a moment. But I do want to get a recap from uh, last week's Daytona 500. It was long. It took on almost all day long to run the race, but they finally got it in, and we got to see the big one at the very end of the, of the race there. Uh, what are your thoughts? I think – you know, for all the criticism that had been leveled over the preceding days, both within the dual races and uh, practice and the clash, and we, we just weren't seeing large packs racing. Uh, we saw very few drivers going down to the bottom line. Mostly everybody was staying to the top side. I mean, that really didn't even happen during the Daytona 500, there was a lot of side-by-side, two- and three-wide racing throughout the entire field, especially with these large packs of racing that we've been accustomed to in the past. Well, Ford worked together. Um, you know, that, that wasn't abnormal or unusual. This is something that they've worked on for the last couple of years. And um, it was interesting that Toyota and Hendrick Motorsports, JGR, and some others uh, tried to gang up against the, the Ford crew of drivers who had uh, been putting on a show pretty much throughout the entire week, even with the new Mustang. So it, it was a it was a much better event than I think a lot of people were leveling criticisms against, and uh, or or thinking that they would see in the Daytona 500. And uh, at the end of the day, Denny Hamlin from the state of Virginia came home with his second victory in the Daytona 500. We're talking with Steve Wilson. Uh, and just and Steve, I don't know if, if you've got your radio on and you're listening and talking at the same time, but uh, we're getting some feedback here when I talk, but I don't know where that's coming from. So hopefully you can hear me uh, just fine. I'm not sure what's causing uh, that. Uh, but, you know, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, what a big win that was for them. Uh, you know, emotionally, the loss of his son, the, the tribute, lap 11, and then to turn around and have number 11, Denny Hamlin, win the race. Talk to us a little bit about that emotional journey for Joe Gibbs Racing. I don't think you could have really scripted a better storybook ending to, to that weekend, especially in the light of J.D. dying and passing away just, you know, weeks prior with the neurological disease. And the number 11 was something that J.D. himself used throughout his career in sports. Um I think for the whole team in general, it was a needed boost. It wasn't just a needed boost to JGR, but it was a needed boost to Denny Hamlin, who went winless in 2018. Uh, could he still be the odd man out? Potentially, it, it could happen at JGR, but I think this kind of solidifies his position over there uh, uh, coming into 2019 and kicking it off with a win, especially with just the lackluster season that he had in the previous year. 
Let's uh, take a look at what's going on in Atlanta this weekend. Uh, you, as you mentioned, the truck series, uh, and of course, the qualified for the Infinity races uh, has been postponed or, or canceled at the moment, if we will. So I guess we'll start by points uh, uh, racing there, and then of course uh, tomorrow uh, as race as well. So walk us through the three weight races at Atlanta Motor Speedway this weekend. Right now, there's just a lot of unknowns. Yesterday, we had some breakout sessions with uh, probably, I'd say, a good 9 to 10, maybe 12 drivers coming into the media center talking about the new package that they're going to use with the tapered spacers, the reduction in horsepower from about 750 to 550 or so horsepower. Uh, Most of them just don't really honestly know what's going to happen once we put 40 cars on the racetrack. Several of these drivers have been out to, to Vegas and other and other tracks, and they've tested with this package, or they've tested with various iterations of this package. But you know, they've even been asked, "Did we will we see anything similar to what we saw in the All Star race, which is uh, a, a modified version of this package?" And they don't even think that there's enough data from that, or that they can feel like that they're going to uh, uh, they could even compare those two packages. Um, so I think we, we, we're we in for an interesting event tomorrow. Tires are going to continue to be a concern throughout the entire weekend, not only in the Monster Energy Series, but in the Truck Series and Xfinity together. It's the second oldest track that we surface that we run on. It was paved back in the 90s, um, 95, 96, if I remember correctly. And, uh, you know, that this is going to continue to be a concern throughout the weekend. I know some of the tire fall-off that we saw in practice with the trucks was about one second, nine-tenths of a second, over about 10, 12 laps or so. Um, If you go a full fuel run, uh, 50, 60 laps, then you're going to lose a considerable amount of time. Kevin Harvick in 2018, he was able to off-cycle this thing on tires and, and split the difference, and he was able to cruise to victory lane, but he doesn't even think that this year that would be a possibility just because of the combination of the packages um, that they're going to be running throughout the event. But tires are going to be concerned no matter what series that we're running in. Um, Xfinity is already canceled for today uh, qualifying. Uh, we'll see Cole Custer and Chad Fencham sit on the front row for, for the race later on today. And truck series qualifying coming up in the next 30, 35 minutes. But with the, with the misting rain and the low-hanging fog around here, uh, potential that this, this thing is going to also be canceled and set up by points uh, for later on today's doubleheader. Well, we'll certainly uh, see what happens. Uh, we talk about Atlanta and the new global package. NASCAR rolled into Atlanta. Uh, ready to begin its new era of racing that is uh, shrouded in unknowns. First of all, what we want to know, will it be race year? That's the point. I think that's what NASCAR is attempting to, to uh, um, you know, to to generate more side-by-side racing and more quality passing not only just in the front but throughout the entire field in general um again you know these 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 drivers have continued to say throughout the weekend that they've only been in very small packs they've been out there running one and two maybe six or ten cars at the time they haven't put full 40 cars on the field and run them side by side uh even in the testing they were limited to a half a dozen or so cars so there there is that great unknown Drivers are, are, are saying that the, the, the control of the cars is different already, even running by themselves. 
So I think it could be interesting once we see 40 cars tomorrow afternoon on the field uh, rolling off. So um, just a lot of unknowns right now. I think we heard we're not sure. We're still learning. We're trying to figure this out. And there's not enough data to 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 work through um, some of their questions. That it's it's just a lot of unknowns. And until they can get like they've said a couple of weeks in, by the time hopefully they get to uh, 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 Auto Club Speedway or beyond there, then maybe they can start um, being able to come up with some answers and generating enough data to to make start making some changes to the cars. Well, the competition package uh, for 2019 was not used in last week's uh, season opening in the Daytona 500, but a version of it will debut Sunday in Atlanta's. Uh, but the thing about it is, it's an abrasive 1.54 mile quad oval. The lower horsepower, high downforce, high drag formula is designed to slow cars and bunch them together and create a more entertaining product. But Atlanta is an, is an anomaly to that, in that its racing surface is one of the oldest in the series, and it was last week. Paved in 1997 and is rough and bumpy. Uh, it quickly eats away and tires, and typically a handful it is, it is an abundance even for the veterans. I guess maybe in the simple term, Sunday's race may look, not, may look nothing like this, how the package races the rest of the season. Now, that's what NASCAR is really attempting to, to, to accomplish here is that they're customizing and making small changes. Uh, depending on the track that they're going to. So what we see this weekend, we're not going to see next weekend at Vegas. And then we're not going to see it again at Auto Club. These changes are being made to to suit the racetrack and potentially change the racing uh, at each track. Now, now once we go back to, to Vegas in the fall, then, yeah, we can probably look back to some things that we see next week. Um, but, you know, in general... Um, NASCAR is trying to change the racing in all the tracks uh, as a whole, with the exception of the short tracks, which will um, not be running these packages, and they'll get full horsepower within the motors. Um, so, so things that we've seen at a Richmond, uh, at a Dover, a Bristol, or Martinsville, um, those those things aren't going to change. We're we're not going to see any substantial differences between 2018 and 2019. Where we're going to see the differences, we're going to see them on these 1.5-mile racetracks, which have traditionally in the past been strung out racing. Um, dirty air would uh, create a, a, an environment in which the leader could be four, five, six, seven seconds ahead of the field within just a handful of laps. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to bunch the field back up together yet again. And, and definitely when we go to Talladega and Daytona throughout the rest of the year, we, we're, not, we're not going to see the style of racing that we saw last week. Uh, and meaning that uh, the restricted plates are going to be pulled off these cars and they're going to go with taper spacers all is the same. Uh, we'll see pack-style racing to some degree. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be like what we saw last week. I think this we're going to see substantially different racing, which gives these drivers more control over the cars and over the engines that um, uh, going into Talladega, Daytona, uh, on some of these 1.5-mile racetracks throughout the rest of the season. 
Well, uh, Eric Armahola uh, wins his first poll since uh, Charlotte in 2012, his first ever in Atlanta. Uh, what are your thoughts about Eric Armahola on the poll? And obviously followed up by uh, Ricky Steinhouse Jr. there in the lineup for tomorrow. Um, I, I think we got. I think we got to look at the fact of what Ford is putting together as a package. Um, you know, they, these drivers are becoming increasingly um, competitive, more uh, competitive throughout the entire field of Ford drivers. Um, we, we've seen just a handful of drivers in the past couple of years, the Kevin Harvick's of the world, that have dominated the field. Um, and we're seeing uh, Ford really coming to the good, um, coming to the cream of the crop. Penske Racing has been another one that has kind of dominated the Ford camp. But uh, for 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 Eric Amarola to get on the pole, I think it's um, it's a much needed again boost for him. Um, he he hasn't been to victory lane since an Xfinity Series race at Daytona, so he he um, he's definitely looking to turn the career around. And I think that. With with Ford bringing the new Mustang to to the track, um, this is a potential that we're going to, as Kevin Harvick or no, I'm sorry, Joey Logano said was was asked about yesterday, will we see the dominant cars that we saw in 2018? And he said no. He said we're going to probably see a variety of different winners uh, um, this year in in the Cup Series. Um, because of not only the package but the quality of the cars that we're seeing brought to the racetrack, and that's that's true. That Ford has just totally rebuilt their cars, their chassis from the ground up uh, for 2019 with this new Mustang package. Now, last week we talked a little bit about the curse of the Daytona 500 pole, if you will. I won't really call it a curse. One of the things that I noticed now that we go into Atlanta that uh, all the young drivers we saw up front at the beginning of the race at Daytona are nowhere to be found in the top ten. As as we as I mentioned, uh, you got Armanola, you got Ricky Stenhouse, Jr., Boyer, Denny Hamlin, which is obviously the Daytona 500 champion of this year. Daniel Torres, Kyle, uh, Kyle Busch, Kyle. Larson, Kirk Bush, uh, Martin Truex Jr., and Austin Dillon all round out the top 10. How come those younger drivers couldn't find their way in the top 10 in Atlanta like they were able to do at Daytona? I, I mean, it's, it's just been something that we've seen in the past that going into Daytona, these teams will set the cars up for, those, for that single qualifying run to maximize speed. And then when they got to the twins races or the dual races, and then they got to the uh, the beyond that, um, the cars that had flat out speed were not the cars that were contending because they had no long run no long run um, speed and no long run handling. And that's been true over the last couple of years at Daytona as we've seen these very young drivers um, put themselves on the pole: Danica Patrick, Austin Dillon. Um, Alex Bowman, uh, William Byron, etc., um, have have put themselves on the pole, and, and a lot of that is indicative of the fact that they're setting these cars up for that qualifying run, and not necessarily for long run speeds or or long run handling or pack racing that we see throughout the field. Not in, not that they're not fast, but they they're just they're the cars aren't set up to run the races; they're set up to run the qualifying. 
Well, it's uh, let's uh, kind of go through the races this weekend. Obviously, we've got the Ultimate Tailgating Truck uh, Series uh, with the brand new trucks. Uh, interesting to see how that's going to going to uh, pan out today. What are your thoughts on the truck race, sir? I think it'll be just. Uh, I mean, last week, it, you know, there, it was it was a fairly exciting race, even though that we had a majority of the field that was wrecked out in, in that, and only about seven. Six, seven, eight drivers left really running at the end of the end of the race. Um, it was a fairly exciting race, but and I think you're you're just gonna continue to see that this weekend. These trucks just push so much air; they're just bricks, and they just push this air, and and, and they're able to to do things that some of the other cars, the Xfinity or the Monster Energy cars, just don't have the opportunity to do, just because the aerodynamics of the cars and the side drafting and the the arrow pushes that sometimes they get in these uh, these other cars. Um, they they produce some of the best racing that I think we see on the circuit as a whole. And uh, no matter where they go, um, they don't seem to need the tweaks or the arrow uh, effects to to produce good racing. We just see good racing in general out of that series, and we'll just continue to see that again this this weekend. Um, you know, we'll see a lot of side by side. Sure, we're going to see some runoffs in two or three seconds. Um, but uh, but overall, these these trucks are going to put on a good show later on today. Providing, I mean, we've got lights here in Atlanta. They've already got the lights turned on here. Um, so um, you know, if we don't get this thing running after lunchtime, hopefully, we can get this thing uh, running later on tonight. Well, certainly you've got the Xfinity race that comes up first. As you mentioned, you're, you're dealing with some weather uh, elements. Hopefully you're able to get everything in. But let's uh, assume that everything runs on schedule. You've got the Riani 250 in the Xfinity series. Talk to us about that race. Well, just, just coming up right now, it's um, actually funny that we're talking about this. The truck series has just canceled qualifying um, for, for later on today. So, um just throwing that out there real quick. Are you with us, Steve? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm still here. I just said that, you know, the truck series has just canceled <laughs> qualifying for, for today also. So um, I just wanted to get that out there while we were still talking about the trucks. Okay, so they're going to start then, I guess, obviously, it's, it's still early in the season, but they're obviously going to start by points, uh, where, where they're at currently with points. Yes, yeah, they're, they're going to go back to a World Bowl to start by points, and uh, that I don't have it in front of me, so well, hopefully you're sure oh, that's right. have that. Uh, that's right. Well, the uh, Xfinity race uh, uh, kicks off at 2 o'clock uh, uh, on uh, Fox Sports 1, and PRN's got the radio call. I know you, you'll be covering it quite extensively with Speedway Digest, uh, but what are we looking for in the Xfinity Rally 250 race there today? Um, tire wear is going to be a concern for those guys. Um, I think it's a I think it's interesting that Cole Custer is is going to run up front, um, or he's going to start from pole for this for this later on today. Um, need some guys out there that that are making changes um, this year. Um, Michael Annette, uh, uh another driver, I believe he's going to start like eighth or something like that, if I remember correctly. I don't have the lineup right in front of me, but I was quickly browsing through it. Um, you know, he won last week, got his first uh, Xfinity Series uh, victory in Daytona. So he's riding a pretty high momentum this week coming into Atlanta and uh, for that team to be able to uh, 
uh, to to continue moving forward. I think they need to continue having good runs. Um, they they've not been the best team, even though that they're engineering the motorsports equipment. Um, Michael and that hasn't put the performance together, and I think that um, you know he he really needs to to be able to to shift. The, the conversation onto that, and I think he started that last week. Um, this weekend, it'll start in the top ten yet again. Um, so, you know, um, that team uh, looking to continue moving the momentum forward. Talking with Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor. He's t- calling us from down in Atlanta, uh, rainy, hot Atlanta, I guess, uh, t- today. Uh, real quickly, before I let you go, fantasy uh, uh, players, uh, I am one of them. I did not get my invite until a little bit later on, so I was not able to get involved in the 500 for the fantasy. I think there's a conspiracy there. I don't know. We'll have to make up a long time. But either which way, uh, as you take your fantasy lineup, uh, what are your thoughts and suggestions and advice? Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm going to play what the the drivers have played the last two days and said they don't know. Um, uh, um, I think it's, it's it's a big old dartboard out there. Pick pick somebody um, that that <clears throat> can navigate these tracks, um, but also um, be mindful in the fact that. Um, there's just so many unknowns, and until we put 40 cars on the racetrack, we're really not going to know what's going to happen. So um, uh, if you want me to pick somebody, I'm just going to go with the defending champion of this race, Kevin Harvick. Uh, he won last year on tire strategy, but he said, again, he said that they didn't think this would work this year. But I'm going to just go with him again because I think he's just as good as anybody else on this 1.5-mile racetrack. Well, I absolutely picked Eric Almodola to be on the pole. No, I'm hitting. I didn't even put him anywhere in my radar. So, yeah, it's any, any man's any man's game. I know you got a hard stop here, sir. I know you're down there in Atlanta uh, covering the race. Any final thoughts or words of wisdom, of course, as we go into race weekend this weekend? Um, just watch the race tomorrow and see how it is. Take it. Don't, just don't take it at face value because, you know, NASCAR is continuously tweaking these cars and trying to get these cars to – uh, um, you know, to race. Um, not that they're not racing already, but they're trying to put on the best quality racing that they can, and just one race tomorrow isn't going to be indicative of what we see throughout the entire season. Give these give these cars a chance. Give this package a chance. Give it a couple weeks for these teams and drivers to figure out what's going on within the cars and gather data, and then by the time that we start getting throughout the rest season we're going to see better quality which hopefully we'll see better quality racing as nascar continues to tweak on these cars steve wilson of speedway digest where can people find your work in your masterpiece sir you can follow us at speedway digest on twitter facebook.com for so speedway digest speedway digest.com all right buddy you have yourself a good weekend we'll talk thanks you do take care all right Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. Uh, apologize if we had some feedback issues there, uh, but when you're when you're on a remote and you're out the track, you just go. I'll be right back. It's just me and you, Mo. The BS Sports Show had something come up, not able to join us today. So, but we're going to be talking about sex, the New England Patriots. We're going to be talking about Steelers trade. We're going to be talking about a big Manny uh, money, big Manny money, if you will. And so. If, Got questions? Let's load the phones up. Nine one seven eight nine eight five one six. My name is Tom Marquis, Al President Dave. We'll be right by it.
National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Tonight, I just want to take you away. So you're in the midst of change. Let's take this party over. Play it. Put your piggy ring up to the moon. Girls, what y'all trying to do? All right, welcome back. We are in the final half hour of the show. Time flies when you're having fun. 917-889-8516 is my digits. We talked with uh, Matthew Embry from WSBT up in South Bend, talking some college hoopage uh, with us. 
as well as some IndyCar talk and a little bit of NASCAR, a little bit of this, and a little bit, a little bit of that. And of course, uh, Steve Wilson called us from Atlanta, rainy, hot Atlanta. Bring you up to speed on that, no pun intended. Uh, and Xfinity qualifying has been postponed due to rain. We'll see how that plays out. We might be in an afternoon of rain delays. Of course, you've got the Xfinity race, and then you've got the truck race. So we might see this go on into the evening hours, uh, but I'm sure they're going to try to get that in. It just reminds you of the rules uh, that if they get get halfway, uh, the, the race becomes official. So whenever you have rain issues and rain on the radar and rain in the area, uh, these teams do everything they can do to get as much done as they can get done in the first half. And it's always exciting to see what happens. So we'll see what happens uh, down there in Atlanta. Of course, tomorrow down there as well is the, uh, the, the, uh, the Monster Energy NASCAR uh, 500. Man, I tell you what. Trying to remember all these sponsors and racing. We've got the NTT IndyCar Series now. So I'm just going to have to keep saying that every day, two or three times a day, so I can get used to it. So I, I, I'm not saying uh, the wrong sponsor. That's never good, right? Uh, sponsorships are always, you always have to mention them. Well, let's talk a little bit about something going on in the NFL. Oh, yeah. It happened. Could have happened to a nicer guy. Could have happened to a more upstanding guy. <laughs> can you can you hear the sarcasm? You know what? No, in all seriousness, I I, I don't wish bad harm on anybody. But hey, when something like this happens, scandal! Give me a scandal! I need a scandal! Everybody needs a good scandal in their life every now and then. Bring it to me! Bring me this scandal! And and bring it all! Let's let it all come out. Of course, I'm referring to Robert Kraft, owner, a 75-year-old owner uh, who has a 34-year-old, 39-year-old girlfriend, owner of the New England Patriots, uh, visiting a massage parlor in Jupiter, Florida. Uh, I believe the the parlor, which is now closed, uh, was called Orchids of Asia. Yeah, he was getting a massage. Wasn't nothing wrong with getting a massage, right? Everybody likes a good massage every now and then. Oh, yeah. It was more than a massage. Robert Kraft was getting a happy ending. What's a 79, 73, whatever, 70-ish billionaire doing in a massage parlor in Jupiter, Florida? How's this work? Yeah, hi, I'm Robert Kraft, uh, da, 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 but I'm, I'm coming in to assumed name. Um, nobody knows who I am. And uh, let's go back. Oh, wait, I got to pop a pill here. Let me pop a pill here real quick. I'll give you my massage. Oh, and here's a little extra money. Make me smile at the end. Give me a happy ending. How's that happen? Well, it did. And it happened to Robert Kraft. And, uh, of course, Robert Kraft will probably beat this rap because, hey, he's the owner of the New England Patriots. But we'll just go with what we know, okay? They, uh, they, they, it was part of a sting operation uh, uh, down there in Florida involving human trafficking. Now, let's, there's two components to this, and uh, Matt, uh, Matthew Embry brought this up a little bit. And 
we, we have to we have to kind of take things as the facts roll out. Right now, all we know is that he was charged, and uh, an arrest warrant is sought uh, for Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft is, will surrender himself, I'm sure. All of that will happen uh, very methodically, if you will. But apparently the, the police, Jupiter police and, and federal authorities, were investigating a human trafficking which is really bad. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we don't want to make jokes about that part of it because apparently these women were held there against their will uh, and forced to do these acts. Now, did Robert Kraft know about that? At the point that we know now, no. So we want to be careful as to say that we don't want to accuse Robert Kraft of being involved in human trafficking. That said, we do know that he was involved in solicitation of prostitution. Which, unless you're in Nevada, it's illegal in all 50 states. And there I go back to, if you're a billionaire and you've got a girlfriend half your age, you don't need to be in a massage parlor. Heck, you could pay. If you need to have a prostitute, if you need to have somebody take care of that for you, you want to pay for it, bring them to your hotel room. Bring them to your house. Why go to a massage parlor? It makes no sense, but it happened, and it ha- couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, right? Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. So we'll see what happens. What is the NFL to do about it? Right now, I think they're probably, at best, they want to let the um, legal system play its part out. But, you know, as Matthew Embry made a very valid point, the NFL has to step in and do something. I mean, as as we remember, uh, Jim Irsay, uh Last year, no, two, year, two or three years ago, got arrested in Carmel uh, for driving under the influence and had a ton of cash on him. And um, he apparently was popping some pills, and we, we know he's been suffering through addictions. Uh, but, okay, that said, after it was all played out and uh, Jim Irsay uh, was convicted in the court of law, the NFL said, you're suspended for six games. Now, to me – now. I, I know there's some naysayers out there, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm not at all endorsing uh, human trafficking or prostitution. But that said, let's take the, the human trafficking thing aside. I understand that this happened during an investigation of human trafficking, but we don't have any proof that Robert Kraft knew anything about that part of it, Okay. So all we do know is that he solicited a prostitute, and it wasn't like he was busted in the sting in the action. They do have a a videotape of these acts being committed, but Robert Kraft was already gone when this sting happened, and they are seeking an arrest warrant. And as we know, he's been charged, but he's not been officially arrested or turned himself in yet. So that's still yet to, to play out. But let's also realize that prostitution is the oldest profession in the world. And it is what it is. Maybe it's not a victim of this crime, maybe, because you look at all the drug usage and all the stuff that goes on that happen in dark scenes prostitution. Robert Kraft wants to pay for a piece of ass. Well, Who's he hurting? Maybe his girlfriend's feelings. But she 
after the day, Jay, she knows she's dating a billionaire. What are you really going to say? I'm not going to date you anymore. I'm going to give up this lifestyle you've given me because you got a prostitute. Maybe. Maybe. But when you think of the word sugar and daddy, you don't think of the 1970s candy. Just saying. She might be okay with it. That said, if you decide you want to go get yourself a prostitute and you're not in Nevada and you're not at the Bunny Ranch or whatever and it's not legal, well, it's just a chance that you take on yourself. Now, let's also look at this a little bit deeper. The NFL has had some problems when it comes to uh, the the conduct of players, the conduct of coaches. We see coaches uh, snorting coke uh, for a video for their mistresses. We see we see NFL players snorting coke in a hotel room uh, with a prostitute. Uh, we see NFL owners getting arrested for various things, DUIs, uh, uh, NFL coaches getting arrested for DUIs, domestic violence. We see all of this. So the NFL has to kind of take this in context. Robert Kraft, probably one of the biggest names and faces in the executive branch of the NFL. Let's go back to this. Robert Kraft and the New England Patriots is a cash cow for the NFL. So if you're Roger Cadell, commissioner of the NFL, what are you doing? What are you saying? Where are you going with this? You're going to have to do something. But my guess is somewhere around four games. And that's after it's played out. And that's, that's if he doesn't beat the rap. And we know that he probably can't. And that said, I believe it's only a misdemeanor. In fact, I know it's only a misdemeanor. In Florida, in most states, it's only a misdemeanor for solicitation of prostitution. Okay, now that's one component of it. Now let's move on to the other component about it, which is far, far more cynical, far, far more darker, far, far more serious. And yes, if this other component comes in and, and comes to play and it's proven, by all means, the, the um, NFL should step in. It, it, it probably should remove ownership, at least from Robert Kraft, and let his son go ahead and take over, which is in the plans and in the works now. Anyway, uh, Robert Kraft's son it pretty much handles the day-to-day operations uh, for the New England Patriots. And then you look at – so here's the thing. If the human trafficking – now, this is going to be really, really hard for anybody to prove – that he knew, abetted in, and was a part of a human trafficking event. Maybe he was. But they're going to have to connect the dots. They're going to have to say, Robert Kraft was involved here with this human trafficking event here, and we can connect the dots. They found Robert Kraft getting a happy ending at a massage parlor, which shouldn't happened okay but at the end of the day right now all we know is an uh is a horny old man a creepy old man i went in to get a massage parlor in jupiter florida and says uh yeah make me smile at the end baby we get, get me something that's all we know right now it's solicitation of prostitution it's a misdemeanor 
if that's all it is, then the NFL four games is probably what he'll get, three to four games. They'll, ha- they'll have to do something like that. It, it, it would be an absolute disaster if they don't do something. But again, we're talking about Robert Kraft, owner of the New England Patriots, cash cow uh, for the NFL. Face of the NFL in a lot of ways, a lot of aspects, you got to look at the New England Patriots as being, as much as I hate the Patriots, and God knows I hate the Patriots, they are the face of the NFL. They have the winningest quarterback, probably one of the best quarterbacks, certainly a modern era on their team. They have the best, probably a modern era coach on, on their team. Now, if I'm Bill Belichick and I'm Tom Brady, Maybe I'm having a conversation behind closed doors, out of the public eye, and asking him, what are you thinking? Or maybe they're asking him, hey, who's mine? She need a prostitute. Have you seen his wife? Anyway, that's a whole other rabbit hole we could go down, but we won't. Uh, so we'll see. It certainly is far more serious and, and, and far more darker if proven that – Robert Kraft was involved in a human trafficking event. That's going to be a hard thing to prove based on what we know so far. Of course, there's always, there's always something that we don't know, and there's always stuff that isn't released. There's always something. But what we do know now, that Robert Kraft has been charged – not arrested, he hasn't turned himself in or anything yet. That will probably happen over the next few days because it seems pretty imminent that arrest warrant will be given. Of course, Robert Kraft, being who he is, will have the ability to fly in uh, to Jupiter, Florida on his private jet, uh, go to the Jupiter Police Department, get his mug shot, uh, go to the courts, and then leave the court and fly back home to uh, Rhode Island or Massachusetts or wherever he lives. <laughs> and that'll be what, what happens. And then it's uh, maybe at some point he'll plead guilty to getting a happy ending and pay a fine, which finding whatever he wants, not going to hurt him that much financially. So this is a PR thing at the moment. Now, again, if it's said to be or proven to be that Robert Kraft knew about this human trafficking stuff, and maybe that's why he chose the location where he was at. Maybe this was kind of a business trip for him. Well, now we're talking about something completely different on a completely different scale, on a completely different thing. And that is when um, things will get very, very, very serious um, for Robert Kraft. But let's, again, as much as I hate the Patriots, let's kind of reserve judgment for the moment, on that part of it, what we know is he decided he wanted to go to a a uh, massage parlor, get himself whatever he did. So here's what we know, and so I'll just kind of walk you through this. Robert Kraft will be officially charged by prosecutors early next week. So again, uh, arrest warrants haven't been made yet. He hasn't been arrested. He hasn't turned himself in. Early next week uh, to the Palm uh, Beach County State Attorney's Office. Police in Jupiter, Florida, announced Friday that they had charged New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft with two counts of soliciting prostitution. The charges resulted 
from a sting of bust on a massage parlor, according to law enforcement. They were used for prostitution and human trafficking along the state treasurer's coast. If convicted, if convicted, uh, Kraft could face a maximum of 120 days in county jail. That's not going to happen, people. Robert Kraft is not going to be going to jail. Let's make that very clear on the solicitation charges. Again, if we if we if it comes out, which is going to be very hard for this to happen, um, connected to human trafficking, we're, we're talking about a completely different conversation. We are talking about a difference between a rainstorm and a tornado. Uh, so there's a big big difference and a big contrast. But right now. What we know is that he's only he's not even really been officially charged. It's just expected to happen uh, in solicitation of prostitution. Mike Esmond, a spokesman for the state's attorney's office, said that while local police have filed charges, his office has yet officially issued them uh, those involved. Evanson said that his office has filed uh, submitted by the Jupiter police and prosecutors after reviewing it. Evanson said that Kraft, who lives in Massachusetts, uh, will not be extradited to face these charges. Here we go. Again, Robert Kraft. But this is a non-extraditable offense. Someone could stay out of the jurisdiction and not be subject to, to arrest. This is a second-degree misdemeanor, and the arrest warrant would be enforceable only in the state of Florida. Well, so when the New England Patriots pay, play the play the Buccaneers – or the Dolphins. <laughs> Better stay the hell out of Florida because we're taking your ass to jail. It's not going to happen. When the, when the charges happen, here's what probably will happen. Just in, in, in the effort to keep peace and do everything right. Uh, he'll fly to Florida. He'll turn himself in. He'll be in court for 30 minutes. He'll make bail. He'll get out. And then his defense team will go to to work. And again, uh, we, we, we like to believe that we don't live in a, a world of classes, if you will, in a world of uh, uh, some people have things better than others. And it's just reality. It's okay. I, 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 I don't hate you if you make money, if you've got a lot of money. That's, that's, that's great. But with that comes some certain benefits. And Let's face it, he's never going to see a, a, a day in jail. He's going to get his hand slapped. He's going to pay a fine and move on. Uh, right now, there's not even anything on the table that says Robert Kraft is even suspected of human trafficking. So we could just assume that Robert Kraft uh, is not going to jail. Have we had enough sex talk today? I feel like we gotta we gotta talk about sex more. We gotta bring sex more into the conversation. I want some scandal. And I want it good. Give me some sunny side up scandals. Give me well done on the scandals. We don't have enough scandals as it is. <laughs> I think this is just gonna be one of those things where we see funny memes going around and uh, and see what happens from there. Well, like I said, Mo from the BS Sports Show um, is not 
going to be, wasn't able to join us. He actually he works for a radio station, does his own radio stuff, and had some things happen on the last minute that he needed to do. Let's talk a little bit about the big Manny money, big Manny mo- contract. Real quickly, why I'm thinking about funny memes and funny things. I know I digress. Squirrel, Charles Barkley, Himes in on that that actor. Uh, oh gosh. Um, I don't have it up here. But anyway, the actor in Chicago who apparently pulled this publicity stunt uh, and <laughs> hired two black men to mug him, uh, put a noose around him, pour bleach on him, and uh, 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 turn it into like some sort of a hate crime, a publicity stunt because he was being cut out of the Empire's uh, cast or he wasn't happy with the money. <laughs> That, that whole thing is hilarious. But Charles Barkley uh, on on the NBA halftime show with the Dallas Mavericks this past week really chimed in. You got to YouTube it, and we'll post it up on social media. I posted it yesterday. Uh, just go to at T-Balance. You'll be able to find it. Uh, but um, or just Google Charles Barkley. The video's right there. It's about, it's about a minute clip. But basically uh, they were talking about this, and they're like you – you, it's just like you can't say, oh – a false injury to play. You can't report a false injury. And Charles Brother goes, wait, hold on a moment. What you say? What you What's Mark? <laughs> he goes, he goes, who in the right mind, brother? He goes, come on, brother. Come on, man. From one brother to another. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're gay. I don't care if you're straight. Nobody's going to believe that two black men in Chicago are wearing uh, make America great hats and mugging you. And he goes, brother, if you <laughs> if you're gonna pay somebody thirty five hundred dollars to beat your ass, why write them a personal check with your name on it? And they put a graphic up that says with a little thing that looked like it was a check from him, and it says payable to muggers. Then the memo for muggers supplies. Oh, that was great. I thought that was great. But, of course, social media got their panties all up in a bundle over that. But I thought it was great. Hats off to Charles Barkley on that. Move on to Manny Machacho, and then we got to move on down the Machacho Road. Um, here's what, here's what, we're, what we know. Like $300 million of San Diego Padres pay Manny Machacho over the next 10 years. Guaranteed freaking money. Of course, we still don't know what's going to happen with Bryce Harper, uh, but he's uh, but Benny uh, Machacho is uh, Dominican, Dominican American. I believe he's a citizen now, um, but he was with the Baltimore Orioles, and he at free agency, and he got paid. Now, a lot of people might say this is this is what ruins teams. This is what ruins organizations. I don't know. But we're running out of time, guys. I got to go. My name's Tom Marquez, El Presidente. Remember to catch us on at T-Balance. My name's Tom Marquez, El Presidente. Remember, don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. I got, I got all caught up in the sex talk, people. Time got away from me. How did you let that happen? <laughs> we got all caught up in the happy ending. I'm going to give you a happy ending. My name's Tom Marquez, El Presidente. That came out really wrong. I read a happy ending to the show. All right? Come on. Come on, man. All right, I'm out of here. Remember, 
We're going to say cut the balance every Saturday morning. I promise we'll get back on the rails next week. My name is Tom Marquisell, President Tate. Don't drink a drive, but it isn't cool. We'll talk with you soon. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.